Again, we return to Numbers 14. Numbers 14 in our exposition of this book, our treatment of the record of the wilderness wanderings of the people of God, and to verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. You'll remember, young people, that Caleb was one of two, a minority of a total of 12 spies who came back from the land of promise after going in and and spying it out and seeing, and indeed it was a great land, the land that God had sworn to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Caleb says, we can go in for God is with us. Truly, he could just as easily have said, had he lived in our days, if God before us, who can be against us? And yet, so many, so very many of the others, they did not believe and, and they were troubled that he should even bring this good report upon the land, so much so that they're about ready to stone him. But the Lord steps in, he intervenes, and he commends his servant Caleb, who followed him fully. We've been spending uh, several messages in a kind of a, 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 a holding pattern over this very striking text to consider that other spirit that Caleb had. My servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went and his seed shall possess it. What made Caleb different? Well, it was because he was born again. He was regenerated. And so through the, the case of Caleb, we are considering the, the entire biblical witness for several messages about that other spirit, that regeneration that God works in His elect, whether before the coming of Christ or after as we now enjoy the blessings of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we come now before our final uh, message, the final message being the actual work of regeneration, what is Uh, The conquest, just as the land of, of Canaan was promised but had to be possessed, so God actually has promised, as it were, to himself, with this chosen sinner, I will possess him. I will drive out the darkness and I will bring in my light. I will put to death that spiritual death that is in them, and I will resurrect them inside. That's what we're going to consider next time. But now, let us 
turn our attention to what I am calling the ground of regeneration. The ground of regeneration, and that is union with Christ. And it is important that we should consider this subject in the connection with the rebirth precisely because the rebirth doesn't happen, as it were, in midair. It doesn't happen in a vacuum, disconnected with anything else. No, there is, there is a point of contact that is absolutely necessary. Without that contact between the, the, sinler, the sinful soul of the chosen one and the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be no regeneration. It is the ground, it is the source, it is the, may, may we put it this way, the womb of the rebirth. Caleb had another spirit because he was connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Shorter Catechism turns our attention to that that we are made partakers of the benefits of Christ by the effectual working of the Holy Spirit within them. And in their effectual calling, they are united to Christ. Well, let us reflect upon six points this morning. First, this union... This union that is often called the mystical union because it is so very mysterious, which is the very basis, the ground, the womb of regeneration, it is an exalted union. It is an exalted union. There are are so many unions in this world, a union simply, basically, by definition, being two things coming together. There was even a kind of uniting of yourself with your chair this morning. It's not a very deep or profound union, but but it's there. This morning, before we came here, we took clothes that perhaps were folded in our dresser, and we took them out and we, we united them in a sense with our bodies and they shall be disunited at some point. But this is a very exalted union. This is the most glorious union that there could ever be that the soul of a creature who is made of the dust should be connected to God should be united uh, to God in Christ. Think of the very high and lofty language of Jesus Christ in John 17, 21. He prays that they all may be one, as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee, that they also may be one in us. Is there any 
anything higher to which we can aspire than to be one with God, the Father, and with the Son. My servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, he was a phenomenon, my friends. He was as a rose that was uh, flourishing in the desert, the desert uh, not just of this, this literal wilderness, but of the desert spiritually of how many sons and daughters of Abraham has had no spiritual life. They were alive, and yet they were dead in trespasses and in sins. How do we know that? It is because of the fruit. They had no faith. And therefore, according to Hebrews, they could not enter in. But Caleb had another spirit. There was a contact between his soul and heaven, between his spirit and God in Christ. Oh, what an exalted union. Yet, however exalted it is, whether for Caleb or for any other believer who is by the Holy Spirit united mystically to the Lord Jesus Christ and thereby reborn, yet that soul is not divinized. And by that we simply mean that that soul does not merge with the nature and the essence of God. Now, young people... Eventually, you may be exposed to different philosophies and different religions, some of which are pantheistic. Pantheistic uh, meaning that everything is God. And uh, the purpose of our life is to, is to endeavor increasingly to come to that realization and to just submerge ourselves and lose ourselves in the great one. And this becomes fashionable from time to time throughout history. Let us make no mistake, though we as chosen ones are in time, by the Holy Spirit, united to God in Christ. And we even, according to Peter and First Peter, become partakers of the divine nature. That does not mean that we lose our creatureliness. We are still of the dust, and God does not merge with us in any way. So as to lose his godhood. But my servant Caleb, he is distinct from the one who is speaking. He is brought intimately close. He is mystically united with him through Jesus Christ. He has another spirit, even the spirit of Christ within him. Yet that does not make him 
anything more than human. Second, this union, this mystical union, which is the ground of regeneration, without which there is no plant of life, no fruit of faith or of godliness, unless, as John Calvin says, we are connected with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we have no access to Him or to any of His blessings, including the new heart, the enlightening of the eyes, the new mind, the new wills and desires, that nature that is ultimately um, invulnerable to Satan. It doesn't mean we don't get attacked by Satan, but John says that he who is born of God, the evil one touches him not, because the seed of God is within him. But second, this is a spiritual union. It is not a physical union, essentially. It is not a carnal union. It is a spiritual union, 1 Corinthians 6, 17. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. There's that that language of joining. If you're uh, repairing a, a piece of furniture, you take different pieces, different parts, and you you either nail them or you take maybe one of those staple guns and you fasten uh, the fabric uh, together so that it is firm, so that it doesn't come loose, so that you can sit back and relax in this nice chair. There needs to be a joining together or, or perhaps a, a vehicle that is in need of repair. There has to be a bringing together into a union. Well, there are all different kinds of unions and joinings in this world, but this is a spiritual union, and it is affected by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings about this union. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond, that is slaves, or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. How are we connected to Christ mystically? The point of contact, the, the may we call it the Genesis point, The point of conception, shall we say, of the new birth and all other blessings that flow to us, it is by the Spirit of God. It is not by human effort. Even though God uses the foolishness of preaching, it's just a tool. The power is in the Spirit of God. 
And that's why faithful ministers avoid and indeed flee from anything that smacks of trying to engineer, trying to generate uh, the work of, of spiritual life, to manipulate people, to, to pressure, to, to, to put down the breadcrumbs so that people will follow and come along. And that's why the church is filled with all kinds of different gimmicks and, and, and cheap attempts to, to do the work of the Spirit of God. No, God is spirit. He is free. He's like the wind. The wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it as the rustling in the trees. You see the effects of it. But it is so free. And God is so free by my spirit, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We are powerless to connect anyone, much less ourselves, to the source of all life and blessing, God in Christ. We must have the Holy Spirit. He must unite us to the body, the mystical body of Jesus. And that's why baptism, among other things, is such a fit symbol, a sign and a seal to represent this because we can't wash ourselves. It must be done to us. This union is effected by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, the Spirit does not simply uh, effect the change. The Spirit himself enters the heart and takes possession. Romans 8 verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, it's interesting how he speaks. He's not talking about here the Spirit being in us, but we in the Spirit. And yet it goes the other way around. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit... I can't resist almost wanting to capitalize that spirit there. Yet, although this is a spiritual union, it is not carnal. God does not even have a body. Now, his son, Jesus, took a physical body. That is true. But this Mystical union is spiritual. It is not fleshly and carnal. Nevertheless, our physical bodies are united to Christ's mystical body in this mysterious union. Classic text for this. 1 Corinthians 6.15 Know ye not that your bodies... 
Your bodies are the members of Christ. Mysteriously, the Holy Spirit at our conversion, each and every one who is chosen, given by the Father unto the Son from the foundation of the world, at the moment, not a minute before, not a minute after, at the moment that it pleases God, the Holy Spirit enters the heart and mystically unites the Spirit and the body of that sinner to the mystical body of Christ. There is a physicality to the Christian faith. That's a beautiful thing. He didn't come simply to redeem our souls and throw away our bodies like a wrapper. What do we do with those? Boys and girls, we, we pick them up and we put them in the trash and we don't give them another thought. Well, that's not a Christian view of the body. Oh, what a blessed, blessed thing it is to, to consider according to 1 Corinthians 15 that when we take that Christian loved one and lay her body in the ground, we confess That body is mystically connected with Jesus, which is why when he comes again, he is going to speak to his body and summon these bodies and glorify them because they're united to him. This is Reformed doctrine. Just go to Westminster Shorter Catechism 38. There is a spiritual union. That is the ground of regeneration, the soil of the rebirth, the womb where the conception begins, the point of contact of the elect sinner and God in Christ. Without that, no union, no connection, No life, no righteousness, no power over sin, no perseverance to the end, no glorification. But there also is within the spiritual union even more that all those who are in Christ united to Christ's mystical body, they are united to each other. They are united to Christ, and they are united to each other. The moment of your conversion, you get a new family instantaneously. You may not even know their names yet. 1 Peter 2, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed or rejected indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, you also as lively stones, plural, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, 
to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ. There is that metaphor of the, the bricks in the building. They are united to the chief cornerstone, but at the same time, they're united to all the other members. Or 1 Corinthians 12, that master chapter on the body of Christ. We are all one body. And as the body has many members, and yet being many, they are one body, so also is Christ. So they're different members. Of course they're differences. They, though they are united to Christ and united to each other, their differences don't just get obliterated. No, there is still a hand. There is still an eye. There is an ear. There is a foot. But what does get obliterated is all the, the senseless, petty I'm better than you, or, oh, I'm so inferior because I'm not her. All of that just goes out the window. Because we're all united to Christ. As many grains are crushed and baked into one loaf, so we are one loaf. My servant Caleb, because he had another spirit, another spirit like Joshua, another spirit like Rahab, another spirit like Father Abraham and Sarah, or down through the rest of the ages, Peter and James and John, Mary. This mystical union is an exalted union. It is a spiritual union. Third, it is a real union. It is a real union. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Did Jesus die? Really? Did he rise again from the grave? Really? Well, just as he died, and just as he rose, so we, united to Christ, die, and united to Christ, rise again. Really? Just because it's a mystical union and it's mysterious from beginning to end, doesn't mean that it isn't real. Think of it this way. Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven. And he also said in the same context, my flesh is meat indeed and drink indeed. And to render that in contemporary language, My body is true food, and my blood is true drink. As if to say that any other bread and wine that you may have in this world is just a a faint copy of the reality. 
Do you want to really live? Don't be looking for more bread. You come to me because I just fed 4,000 people and you want some more food. You really want some food? Don't go to Moses. Moses gave you manna from heaven, but where are your fathers? They're all dead. You want real food? You want real drink? You've got to eat my flesh. You have to drink my blood. I mean, that's union. When you eat something, when you drink something, sure, for a time, as you chew it and as you swallow it, it retains something of its essence, but not for long. It eventually is converted into blood and flesh. This is real, dear friends. This is more real than the reality that we have that's right in front of us. Some of you have been living in a virtual reality. You think that your reality is so real, and yet it's not even worthy of the name. Get real and get united to Christ. Realize that apart from Him, you can be connected to a thousand other things that you think are so very relevant. We're in a very connected age, aren't we? And yet the more we're connected, the more we're disconnected and fragmented and shattered. And we don't even know ourselves, much less others. But if we realize that Jesus is reality, and if I'm united to Him, if I take His being, as it were, within me by faith. And there's no faith without the Holy Spirit. And there's no faith without the Word, so that we don't want to suggest that, that this mystical union is brought about without any means at all. No, the Word is wrought, is, is used in the hand of the Spirit, and faith is aroused at that point of contact to take the word and to be saved. But all of this is most real. Fourth, it is a vital union. And by vital we mean living. One of the Puritans that I was reading was multiplying different, uh, different images and figures of union, and one of which, and I can just see it with my mind's eye there in England, uh, one of those large old brick homes with ivy that's crawling all up the side of the home. We don't see it quite as much here in the United States, but that's a very, at least to me, a very British thing. But think about the ivy and the brick wall. They're united. But it's not a vital connection. It's not a deep, organic, living connection. 
How do we know that? Well, if you ever tried to pull the ivy off the brick, it's really not too hard. Those little tendrils, they're not very strong. You just pull it a little bit and it just comes right off. Now, this is a vital union. This is deep interpenetration. John 15, I am the true vine. Notice again, the true vine. All these other other vines, you think they're so lovely, you think they're nice. Well, they're just kind of, they're just second best. But I am the true vine. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, organically, vitally. Unless the branch abides in the vine, you cannot bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him. Notice both directions again. It's not just us like clinging like a lichen or a barnacle. Because even that can be ripped off. But there's inter-mutual penetration. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Paul uses also this... this, uh, Horticultural imagery, the, 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 the language of the gardener grafting uh, a certain branch that doesn't belong to this plant, but, but there is that process of grafting in, and though, it, though it's a, a foreign and a strange branch, it becomes organically connected. Even a wild branch, even a Gentile You're a wild olive tree, yet when you are grafted in, you with them partake of the root and fatness of the olive tree. The life of the olive tree pulses through that strange branch because it is connected. This is the implantation. We have been planted together in the likeness of his death. New England Puritan John Norton said, Christ is here presented under the likeness of a plant. For as a plant that is set into the earth seems to lie dead and is unmovable for a time, but afterwards springs up and flourishes, so Christ's body lay in the grave for a while, but afterwards sprung up and reflourished in his resurrection as that plant of renown with whom we being planted together grow up by his grace this is that union and if we do not have that union we have no life no life if you're not connected with Christ, if you haven't been planted into Christ, you have no life. Fifth, it is an intimate, personal union. 
So it's not just organic in the sense of plants, but it's also as marriage. This is yet another figure that the Holy Spirit in Scripture uses to explain Caleb's other spirit. And if you're a Christian like Caleb, your spirit So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause, and then he quotes Genesis, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is, says Paul, a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. The closeness and the intimacy that is produced in the child. How can you separate the mother and the father within the child? That is the fruit of this this intimate and personal union. So there is an infinite closeness of Christ. He is infinitely close. I will never leave you nor forsake you. His Spirit. He has not left us alone. He has given His Spirit. His Spirit. The Spirit of Christ. If the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, that's what Paul says. And when you don't know what to pray, Christian, you're just, you're done. You're exhausted. You've been struggling with these temptations and sins and the wickedness of the world and the confusion and the hardships that you're experiencing. You just don't know what to say, but the Spirit of Christ inside you groans within you with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's close. There is an intimacy of communion between the believer and Christ that can only be even faintly imaged by the marriage intimacy. Which should bring us to be reminded that we are united to Christ, that we, through His union, may have communion with him. Christian, are you united to Christ? Are you joined to him? Well, if so, are you enjoying communion with him? Are you cultivating the fellowship through those times in God's word and meditation and prayer? a healthy and holy use of the Lord's day. The right use of the the service of worship. 
and the preaching and godly conversation. That's another element of the fellowship of the saints that, that enlivens us as we, as we speak to each other and encourage each other in the body of Christ. Well, sixth and last, we have an unbreakable union. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now there is a union, an outward union with the visible body of Christ that is breakable. And John 15 speaks about that as the dead branch that is cast and men gather them and they are thrown into the fire and burned. But the entire teaching of Scripture tells us that those who are truly elect, when they are mystically united to the Lord Jesus Christ, they are so fused into His Spirit that it cannot be broken. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, famine, nakedness, Those are some pretty strong things. That's more than just one hand pulling on some ivy. But there's nothing. Nothing can take these out of my hand and out of my Father's hand. These are my members. Shall Christ be dismembered? Perish the thought. Well, as we close, Christian, take comfort. He loves you, and He cares for you as His own body. How do you care for your body? Do you have to be reminded? No, it's very instinctive. This is my own body. If there is an injury, I'm immediately going to go to that foot. If there is a problem with my ear, I am going to, I'm going to tend to that problem. All of my concentration will be focused upon it so that it has relief. Well, this is the body of Christ. He doesn't hate and despise his own body. You are a member of Christ if you are united to Him, and He cares for you. So even if He walks through deep waters, if the head takes the body through deep waters, know that the head doesn't do it to hurt the body, but to save the body. Further, do not despise yourself, Christian. Despise your sin. Despise your old man that is crucified with Christ. And yes, mourn and hate your sins and confess them. But do not despise yourself as you are united to Christ. You are joined to Christ. You are one spirit with Christ. You are altogether lovely. There is no fault nor no blemish within you that he can see. 
And he is working on those imperfections and weaknesses so that one day there will be no spot or wrinkle. Consider that you are joined to that most excellent society of all those who are the great ones of the earth of whom the world was not worthy. Do not despise yourself. Do not despise your body by devaluing it through uncleanness or excess and abuse. Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. Do not devalue your body through comparison and envy or excessive focus on your appearance. He loved you as he made you and as he redeemed you and as he has united your body with all its imperfections into his glorious and mystical body. Do not despise your mind for you have the mind of Christ. Do not despise your individuality, your particularity, your uniqueness, your giftedness. Do not despise these things as you are united to Christ. And despise not any who are living members of Christ as well. If they have another spirit and they are seeking to follow the Lord fully, love them. And serve them as you would serve Christ. John Flavel makes a distinction. Christ personal is not the object of our pity and charity. But Christ mystical is exposed to necessities and wants. Christ the Lord of heaven and earth is sometimes, in this sense, in need of a penny. And so we have it in Matthew 25. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was lonely, and you visited me. So don't. Go away thinking, oh, a pastor told us I've got to have better self-esteem. Despise not any who are living members of Christ, but love them and serve them as you would Christ and abide in Him. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done for you, and you shall bring forth much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Amen. Let us close in prayer. Please rise. O Lord, God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we adore 
thee and for the wonderful plan and work of redemption and for that mystical union, that uniting of our souls and bodies into the mystical body of Christ. And Lord, we pray that we would draw much strength from it as well as power and energy to grow in Christ. We ask now thy blessings uh, to be with us and upon us through Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We'll close.